Good day, all. Welcome to another episode of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D., here to teach you Bible truth. Not my truth, Bible truth. Bible truth allows you to grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. Here we rightly divide scriptures that contain the true and living God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on. Get your Bibles. Invite family and friends. Take notes. And let's learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is Saturday. It is September the 30th of the year 2023. I am your host, the one and only. Dr. Kamla D. Now, I am continuing in the series Race, Religion, and Racism, taught by the late great Frederick Casey Price Sr. back in 1997, and it's still relevant today. Now, in this particular episode, Dr. Price explains the importance of reparations. Mm-hmm. That will equalize the status of ethnic groups. Also, this episode contains a confession by four religious denominations to the sin of racism. So sit back and relax. Go get your family and friends. Here we go. Teaching on the subject of race, religion, and racism. And I know that this is striking uh, a lot of different chords in different people. And you may, after you hear this message, be tempted to write me a letter. The ground rules are... If you write me a letter, whether a positive letter or a negative letter, you must have your name and your return address on your letter or I will not read your letter. All right. Last time we're talking, we're in the segment on racism. And last time I was quoting some information from Emerge magazine and I want to go back and pick up where I left off and perhaps say a couple of things that I said last time but kind of expand on those things so we'll have continuity for what I want to share today in the Emerge magazine February 1997 issue on page 44 45 48 and 49 there is a write-on article entitled Writing a Wrong by Lori, L-O-R-I, Lori Robinson, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. The Japanese American redress movement has become a model for African American reparations activist. Raymond Jenkins, a Detroit activist known as Reparations Ray, says, everybody thought it was a joke for years. Thought I was a crackpot. They laughed themselves to death. And when the Japanese got their $20,000 each, then they stopped laughing. The 1988 Civil Liberties Act provided a formal apology and $20,000 to Japanese American survivors of World War II in internment camps, totaling more than $1 billion, according to economist Swinton. Economists have already made the link. Now, I mentioned this last time, and it seemed to be some little concern. The Japanese Americans, Japanese that were American citizens that lived here in America, are not the ones that declared war on us. You obviously understand that. But the imperial government of Japan did. And the reason that they were put in internment camps is because the thought was that perhaps even though American citizens they may have ties to their home country and their homeland, and they may be in favor of the war and might even be used as possible spies 
or saboteurs, and so to protect both them and America, they took them out of circulation, as it were, and put them into internment camps. Now, the ones that were put into internment camps were not the Japanese that bombed Pearl Harbor, but they were of the same nationality, the same ethnicity, the same nation. After the war was over, then the federal government gave those Japanese Americans that had been placed in internment camps a public national apology and then compensated each one of them $20,000 apiece, which as I said just now, which I did not say last time, totaled about $1 billion. Now that's called reparations. Now, the connection between, I'm going on with the article now, the connection between the current status of somebody or the current wealth of somebody. Now, you got to hear this. You have to hear this. And especially, am I speaking to the white segment of the church? Because you're the bankers. You're the owners of manufacturing companies primarily. You own most of the companies. You have most of the power. You are the ones that are the president of corporation and president of the country. You are the ones that make up the leadership of this nation. If anything is to be fixed, you have to fix it. Simply because... You're the only ones that can. You got all the power. You got all the wealth. So who else would be a better person to be able to fix it? The poor can't give to the poor. All right, now listen carefully. The connection between the current status of somebody or the current wealth of somebody and the future status, the way it turns out, is the way the economic system works. He explains, this is Swinton, the economist. If you practice slavery, discrimination, racism, or any of those things for some period of time, it does have an impact on the future well-being of that group. It's not enough just to stop doing those things. Once you get behind in ownership of capital... The normal process of the economy will keep you behind forever. He defines capital as human capital. Things that enables one to earn money, such as an education and professional experience. And physical capital. Assets such as financial holdings and ownership. The main consequence for future generations of current discrimination or past discrimination is that it reduces the capital of accumulation. Swinton says, if it is desirable, get this now, if it is desirable to equalize the status of the races in the future, then there must be some makeup, some compensation, some reparations, whatever you want to call it, for the capital that those groups were prevented from accumulating. Otherwise, the past will continue to perpetuate itself throughout the future. Yeah. You get that? See, that's why, that's why reparations is so important, see? And this whole racism thing is economics. It's all about economics. The color thing is a smokescreen for the economics. Hey, there would not have been any slavery if it hadn't paid dividends. Let's be fair about this situation. Remember, the Japanese imperial government declared war on the United States and killed approximately 3,000 Americans in their attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. No black nation 
has ever declared war on America. Is there no milk of human kindness in this great nation? No Christian charity? You give those of the nation who killed your sons and husbands money and a national apology and treat your most loyal citizens and supporters like dirt. I mean, I know it hurts, but the truth will make you free. Name me one war that the Federal Republic of the United States of America has ever been involved in where they were at war with a black nation. Excuse me. America was at war with Spain, Mexico. They weren't black folk. America has been at war with Germany. That was white on white war. America has been at war with Russia. Cold war, hot war, all the other kind of war. That was white folks against white folks. America has been at war in Asia with Korea. Those aren't black folk. With Japan, those aren't black folk. With Vietnam, those aren't black folk. Yet, you required your black second-hand citizens who couldn't even ride in the front of the dead blame bus to go overseas and give their blood and their lives for your freedom and then cheated them like dogs. It was Germans, white folk, in U-boats between East Coast America and Europe that sunk all those ships with your white relatives, brothers and sisters and husbands on board those ships. Those were white folk sinking your ships and your people. But then you required black folk to go to war on your behalf, and then, and then, while they were in those particular wars, segregated them. Wouldn't even eat with them. Wouldn't even have fellowship with them, but required them to go die for you. And I mean, right is just right. Come on, guys. Come on, friend. Come on, come on, come on. Right is just right. Now, here's my point. See, I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not getting on the nation. I'm not trying to get on any people. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. But I'm, I want to do it dramatically enough to get you to thinking so that you black folk, when you hear about reparation, you won't think it's some kind of strange animal. We have a right to something, man. We've been abused and misused. We got a right. And like I said last week, like I said last week, maybe if we declare war on America, maybe we can get $20,000 a piece and a national apology. <laughs> Seems like if you do good, you get kicked in the butt. But if you drop bombs on him, you get an apology. getting to you but boy you know it's the truth oh yeah I'm telling you the truth this is the gospel man the black folk been the most loyal people to this country and been mistreated or worse I mean come on in God we trust One nation under God with liberty and justice for all if your skin is white. What a mockery. 
I mean, I know things are better now than they were a hundred years ago, but that blame it, they shouldn't be. They should have been a lot better than that, a lot sooner than that. I ask you, America, is that fair? No! Is that Christian? No! In another article from the same Emerge magazine entitled On the Hill, Reparations Finds New Supporters by Kevin Merida, or Merida, I don't know how to pronounce it, forgive me please, K-E-V-I-N, last name is M-E-R-I-D-A. On page 26 and 27 it says, and I quote, quoting from Emerge magazine, for the past eight years one bill has proved too hot for floor debate. Too hot for the hearings, simply too hot for Congress to touch, regardless of whether Republicans or Democrats are in charge. Known as the Commission to Study Reparations Proposal for African Americans Act. The legislation is introduced in the House every two years by Representative John Conyers, that's C-O-N-Y-E-R-S, Democrat from Michigan. It is his efforts to force a national discussion about the lasting effects of slavery and whether descendants of American slaves should be compensated. Conyers, who is beginning his 32nd year in the House and is the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, hasn't pushed the bill lately because he realizes there is virtually no chance of it moving in the Republican-controlled Congress. He couldn't even get the bill out of the Judiciary Committee when it was chaired by Democrat Jack Brooks of Texas. Republican Chairman Henry J. Hyde, H-Y-D-E. Henry J. Hyde of Illinois is an even more formidable adversary. He says, and I quote, the notion of collecting collective guilt for what people did 160 years ago, that this generation should pay a debt for that generation is an idea whose time has gone. Hyde says, going on, I never owned a slave. I never oppressed anybody. I don't know that I should have to pay for someone who did own slaves. Generations before I was born. End of quote. Now watch this. Catch this now. If what this man says makes any sense, then using that same rationale, none of us should be made to pay for the national debt that this nation is in. Listen now, using that same rationale, none of us today should be made to pay for the national debt that this nation is in or for the wars this nation has gotten us into without asking us citizens, that is, if we wanted to. And we're still paying. So if you're going to be an American citizen, you've got to pay your dues. You've got to pay your taxes. Well, it's the same thing there. Boy, I got the best illustration in all the world for you. And I, I believe that I can, I have a lawyer. See, is my lawyer here today? Yeah, yes, counsel, chief counsel is here. I want to be right. I mean, I could be wrong. Sometimes I get things mixed up. But if I, if I understand a little bit about law, that if somebody dies and leaves a will, and bequeaths to the people left over. Property, land, whatever. Company, whatever. If it's been left to you, and you intend to receive it, you got to take it with all of the liabilities that go along with it. Is that correct, sir? Now, here's my point. Perfect, classic example. In living we, 
Crenshaw Christian Center, bought this property, which was formerly the original home of Pepperdine University. 32 acres here in the heart of the city. When Pepperdine was given the land out in the Malibu area, and they decided to relocate and began to build their campus out there, they left this property, put it up for sale. There were certain things that should have been done. Normally, whenever you sell property, you fix it up so that you can get the best price for it as you put it on the market. They left this thing looking like a dog with great big fleas. It was a dump, but it was the land that we needed to do what we needed to do. Also, there was a legal situation that was involved, and that was that at one particular time, and, and I alluded to it before, but it just fits in here so, so well, I've got to use it. Along this Vermont corridor, there was some, apparently the city did some repairs or uh, improvements. And it was understood that all of the people that fronted on the Vermont area were supposed to make a contribution, I guess, based upon their size and so forth and so on, to the repair of, uh, to these upgrades that the city did. Okay, well, apparently this, the people that own this property, got away without doing that. And so when we bought the property, we inherited it. We didn't know it, though, at the time. And then when we got our building built and we were ready to hook up to the city sewer system, we had to go to the city to get permission to do so. And the city, as I said it another time, is like God. They can wait on you because they know you coming to them. <laughs> you will come to them. You ain't got no choice. You're going to do something legally. And so when we went to the city to get hooked up, they said, oh, yeah, no problem. We hook you up. But there happened to be about a $200,000 outstanding debt that should have been paid by the previous owners that was not paid. So since you inherited the property, you also inherit the liability. If you want to hook up to us, you pay the $200,000. So we could have said, oh, no, 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 no. Why should we pay for something that somebody else did way back there? They said, yeah, that's right. But if you want to hook up, you're going to pay. Anything you or any time you inherit anything, you inherit all the liabilities that go along with it, or else you got to say, I don't want it. I won't take it. Then you scot free. You ain't got nothing to do with it. You don't have nothing to do with it. But if you accept it, and this man here, uh, a representative, call, he's an American, he's a citizen, then chump, you inherit everything this nation ever did at any time in the past. Yes, you're gonna, you need to pay for slavery. Yes. Your grandparents and your great-great-great-grandparents, yes. they did it. Yes. And you ought to pay. That's Just right. like you're paying for everything else that your great-great-grandparents did. Come on. Yes. All the contracts and legal paraphernalia that they did with other nations and countries has bound the United States by certain limitations. You're, you have inherited that. How come you, how come you don't squawk about that? Only about paying for slavery you squawk about. Amen, Pastor. America, your problem is you need to get saved. In an interview with Modern Maturity magazine, March and April edition, 1995, former Secretary of Education under President Ronald Reagan, William J. Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, -E -T, made an important observation. Now I want you, you, you got to get this. You, you, you got to, I'm going to come out there and drive this down your throat. You got to get this. In love, in love, in love. In love, watch this now. But see, it's, it, boy, I tell you, the truth is something. Now, now listen to this, listen to this. Uh, William J. Bennett made an important observation about racism in this country. On page 30, I quote, it's always worse for the underclass, but the middle class drives everything. Everything trickles down. A common cold in suburbia is pneumonia in the inner city. 
if the middle class loosens its hold on marriage, the lowest economic class give up on it altogether. The middle class fools around with cocaine and then goes to the Betty Ford Center, but Watts is destroyed. This, this be a white man, you know, Caucasian, Caucasoid. It's not some angry black revolutionary. This is the man that was the former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan. I just want you to get the enormity of what he's saying. And to show you how far we got to go. Listen to this. Listen to this now. Uh, the middle class fools around with cocaine and then goes to the Betty Ford Center. But watch is destroyed. The problem is there. Now watch this. This is a white man speaking. See, and you, you, you black folk that want to get on my case. This, this is a white man. Intelligent man. Not some bum sitting by the side of the road looking for a handout. Listen to this. The problem is there is a blind, unconscious, beneath the surface racism in liberalism that tolerates this drug abuse and crime instead of blowing up the system that perpetuates the breakdown. People have to get really mad about this. If white kids were being slaughtered at the same rate as black kids, we would end the damn system. I'm quoting. I'm not cursing. I'm quoting. I'm quoting. I'm not cursing. I'm quoting. Listen to this now. Listen. Listen to this now. If white kids were being slaughtered at the same rate as black kids, we would end the damn system. The country wouldn't stand for it. Black crime in America is intolerable for what it does to black people. And I'll be damned if the blame should fall mostly on the poor folks. End of quote. And see, that's true, see? See, that's, that's, that's a part of the, of the problem. That's a part of the, of the unwillingness to, to grip this thing. He's absolutely right. If it was happening to white kids, they'd end the damn system. <laughs> See, I'm quoting. <laughs> quoting. <laughs> quoting. <laughs> quoting. They would. But, but since it's inferior blacks... Let them kill each other. In fact, if enough of them kill each other, we won't have to be bothered with them. Now that's a quote. I mean, that is quite an assessment, don't you think? I tell you, friends, I tell you, America, I tell you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, racism is alive, racism is alive and well in this nation, and we better end it soon before it ends us. See, even I, I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel and my primary target is the church. And I have to, I had to build up to this and lay all this foundation. The next segment is, is the part that I'm really, that's the area that I'm really, you know, that's where I'm, I'm going. But I had to build all of this up. Because see, black people in America, we are a, we are a minority, really a minority, number-wise compared to the, to the uh, major society. But see, Whatever happens is going to hurt everybody. Because even if the white community kills all the black folk and absolutely exterminates us and gets rid of us, you're going to have to live with the guilt of that the rest of your life. Ain't no way you can sleep. God's not going to let you sleep. You'll not enjoy the fruit of your labor. You can't do it and get away with that. Remember, out of one blood, God made every man to dwell on this earth. So the best thing to do, from my viewpoint, my opinion is, fix it. Real simple. Fix it. Here's another tidbit of information about this very present problem. In an article in USA Today, dated Monday, December 2nd, 1996, entitled, Good Move in Dixie. Governor says, strike 
flag. Quote, the hot news from South Carolina last week came in a speech by Governor David Beasley, B-E-A-S-L-E-Y, who said the Confederate battle flag that flies over the state capitol, the state capitol dome, should be removed. You know, that's that red flag with the, you know, all y'all have seen the rebel flag. That's what they call, well, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, watch it now. They, uh, 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 in a speech by Governor David Beasley, who said the Confederate battle flag that flies over the state capitol dome should be removed. He said a rash of black church burnings and other race-related violence have, have convinced him that the flag has been so co-opted by hate groups that flying it brands the entire state racist. So the best thing to do, from my viewpoint, my opinion is, fix it. Real simple. Fix it. Here's another tidbit of information about this very present problem. In an article in USA Today, dated Monday, December 2nd, 1996, entitled, Good Move in Dixie, Governor says, Strike Flag. Quote, The hot news from South Carolina last week came in a speech by Governor David Beasley. B-E-A-S-L-E-Y, who said the Confederate battle flag that flies over the state capitol, the state capitol dome, should be removed. You know, that's that red flag with the, you know, all y'all have seen the rebel flag. That's what they call, well, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, watch it now. They, uh, 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 in a speech by Governor David Beasley, who said the Confederate battle flag that flies over the state capitol dome should be removed. He said a rash of black church burnings and other race-related violence have convinced him that the flag has been so co-opted by hate groups that flying it brands the entire state racist. As always, the battle flag is a matter of some tenderness in South Carolina and other states where it is cherished by some as the symbol of a noble cause. Its champions regularly argue that those who associate the flag with slavery past and racism present are insensitive revisionists who don't understand. But those who crave understanding ought to be better at practicing it. As a matter of history, get this, get this, get this. As a matter of history, the flag was used to rally soldiers. Now get this. You got your hearing aids turned up? This is, this is, this is criminal. Listen to this now. As a matter of history, the flag was used to rally soldiers fighting for an economic system that was insupportable without slavery. Oh, you didn't get that one. Yeah, that, that slipped right by you. Let me, let me say that again. As a matter of history, the flag was used to rally soldiers fighting for an economic system that was insupportable without slavery. The fact that thousands died beneath it gives no honor to the cause, just more sorrow. Moreover, the flag is also a symbol of modern bigotry. South Carolina only decided, now watch this. Now this is the kind of stuff that will make you sick in your stomach. I mean really sick. The vomit kind of sick. Listen to this. Moreover, the flag is also a symbol of modern bigotry. South Carolina only, say only. only. South Carolina only decided to raise it officially in 1962 as a protest against desegregation. Oh, you didn't get that, did you? South Carolina only decided to raise it officially in 1962 as a protest against desegregation. Other southern states took similar measures. And in each case, the in-your-face purpose was to support racial separation, to preserve the ways of Jim Crow, 
if no longer a symbol of slavery, the flag is nevertheless a lasting icon of hatred, not unlike the swastika. It's no wonder the red banner divided by a blue cross containing 13 white stars continues to stir such anger. However, it is a wonder, a greatly welcome one, that Beasley has taken up the cause against it. Beasley supported the flag display during his 1994 election campaign. His new solution, take it off the dome and fly it at a Confederate memorial instead. Maybe that'll work. Maybe by associating it more closely with the past, the flag will ignite fewer passions in the future. But removing the flag requires legislative approval, and although six former governors support Beasley's idea, the state's attorney general and other powerful leaders continue to resist. Don't that tell you something's alive and well? Their loyalty is misplaced. South Carolina's official state flag featuring a crescent moon and a palmetto tree, P-A-L-M-E-T-T-O, was adopted in 1861 as the flag of the first secessionist state. Why fly a battle flag of war and hate when you already have one of greater principle? Is it pride? Obstinacy? Maybe just, of lack, just a lack of much needed understanding. End of quote. All of these references, as I have said before, are to validate the reality of racism. If we, as a nation, don't acknowledge it, we can never change it. More evidence, if you would. In an article entitled, Religious Denominations in South Carolina Confessed to Sin of Racism, Jet Magazine, June 9, 1997, on page 27, Jet says, I quote, the leaders of four major religious denominations in South Carolina recently issued a statement confessing to the sin of racism. I thought there was no racism. If there's no racism, how can you confess to a sin that doesn't exist? of four major religious denominations in South Carolina recently issued a statement confessing to the sin of racism and asking for forgiveness. The statement, signed by the bishops of the Lutheran, Anglican, Roman Catholic, and United Methodist churches, asked Christ to help us in our struggle to overcome the sin of racism. The powerful prejudice which pits one race against the other to the damage of all. The statement from the bishops, whose churches have more than 450 thousand members in the state continued. We go to each other confessing guilt and seeking forgiveness. Those signing the statement were Bishop David A. Donges, D-O-N-G-E-S, of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Bishop Dorsey F. Henderson, Jr., of the Episcopal Diocese of Upper South Carolina. Bishop J. Lawrence McCleskey, M.C., C-L-E-S-K-E-Y of the United Methodist Church, Bishop Edward Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, Jr., Salmon, Jr., of the Episcopal Diocese of South Carolina, and Bishop David Thompson of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Charleston. The statement was issued after a two-day conference on racism in the church. I thought there wasn't any racism in the church. Mm -hmm. Among the topics were the small number of blacks in local and statewide church leadership positions. Two years ago, the 15.6 million member Southern Baptist Convention approved a similar statement apologizing for racism. I thought it didn't exist. Why would anyone find it necessary to apologize for a non-existent thing? These confessions of racism are certainly laudable and definitely a step in the right direction, but I fear that we are still missing the root issue behind racism in this country. And nobody, nobody, I said, nobody seems to want to talk about it. I have been chosen. The issue of the superiority attitude of whites towards blacks whom they consider inferior, and we know it's not everybody, so don't get personal on me, unless you're guilty. I didn't call your name, 
And I'm not saying everyone. You know that and I know it and God knows it. So give me that much credit. But that's the root issue and we must deal with it or it is going to haunt us to the grave. In another recent article in Jet Magazine entitled Black Jesus in Union City, New Jersey, the passion play stirs community racism. On page 12 and 13, the article states, and I quote, when he accepted the role of Jesus Christ in the Passion Play, he expected some stunned looks, maybe, after all. Desi Arnaz Giles, G-I-L-E-S, has been acting long enough to know that being the first black man to portray the biblical figure in the Park Theater Performing Arts Center in Union City, New Jersey, would be breaking new ground. And not everybody would be exactly happy about the change in hue. As soon as you're cast in something like this, you know it may stir some people, Giles told Jet. You know people are going to cancel. They're going to come to see Joe Bukovex, B-U-K-O-D-E-X, the white actor with whom he alternates the role. You expect that, but death threats? Yes, death threats. After Giles was cast in the play's starring role, profane calls were made to the theater. It was reported that one would-be patron wanted to know when the white actor is playing, I don't want to see that black thing. Another spouting profanities called the artistic director a lowlife and a scumbag. And groups including at least two churches or church organization canceled their ticket orders. You think we don't need to talk about this thing? The cast response to the onslaught of negative public reaction. Surprise, says the 34-year-old Giles. Francine Trevins, T-R-E-V-E-N-S, the production's press agent, characterized it as shock because they've had a Hispanic play the role. Although stupefied by the negative reaction to a black man being cast as Jesus Christ, Guile says his castmates have been in his corner throughout the ordeal. I think anything like this has to be stopped in the bud, says Treffins. And although this is the first time in the 82-year history of the theater company's annual production of the Passion Play that the multicultural city has had to deal with the race issue, the overall reaction has been positive, says Giles. The positive reinforcement, the positive support, outnumbers the negative at least 20 to 1, says Giles. Adding, I would say every actor prays for this kind of publicity. And the publicity has been good for ticket sales, which according to Trevins are up approximately 20%. Additionally, once the negative publicity was reported, the theater began to receive numerous calls from patrons who called just to convey words of encouragement. So we see everybody's not like that. But the thing... The thing that is really noteworthy, says Giles, is the fact. Oh, get this. Please get this. But the thing that is really noteworthy, says Giles, is the fact that last year I played Herod, the king who, after Jesus was born, tried to have him killed by ordering all the children in Bethlehem slain. And nobody had a problem with that. And I played Lucifer recently in another production, and nobody seemed to have a problem with that either. Giles goes on to say, I guess they can accept a black man in a negative role. But I'm out to show them something different. End of quote. would your response be to this artistic scenario? Racial prejudice, which I said at the outset of the section of this section of our series, is summed up under the general title of racism. It is demonstrated most graphically in the issue of interracial marriage. Now, I, I said it before, but I need to say it again. I want it very clearly understood that I, Frederick Casey Price, personally am not advocating interracial marriage. In other words, that's not my thing. 
In other words, I'm not pushing for it. Are you following me? I'm not doing all this to bring everybody to a place where they want to have interracial marriage. <laughs> I said it before, I don't give a care who you marry. Okay? That's not my point. But watch this though. Watch this now. However, that seems to be the fly in the ointment of American racism or racial prejudice. Personally, as I said, I don't give a care who marries who as such. My only question and concern is why should it make a difference? If a white marries a black or a black marries a white or any other of the many ethnic groups in our society, the bottom line issue is this intermarriage business. And the reason for that is the fact that many whites, see I didn't say all, you know it's true and I know it's true. Many whites have been taught that blacks are inferior and whites are superior. And that superiority or inferiority is carried in the blood. Therefore, if a superior white marries an inferior black, that inferiority will be carried in the blood and transferred to the offspring of that union, thereby tainting and diluting the superior blood of the white race. Now, friends, that's the bottom line. I'm talking about the real bottom line. I wonder, can I get an amen? amen. Listen, several years ago, I made a statement in the context of one of my messages concerning this interracial question, and I received a letter from one of the viewers that illustrates my point perfectly. You, you got to get this. See, people let the cat out of the bag and they don't realize they're doing it. But Jesus said it, a tree is known by its fruit. You got to get this. I quote, Dear Sir, I have only one question to ask you. Let's suppose you have decided to go into business as your life's work and to earn money to support your wife and children. And you've invested a large amount of money. You've spent years saving up to go into this new business of your dreams. Let's suppose you've decided to raise a rare breed of beautiful dogs which will sell for a high, high price when they multiply. Now you've got a beautiful female to the age of maturity and is ready to be bred. Question, will you let her loose in the alley so any old dog of any breed impregnate her? Or will you carefully find a dog of her high breed to impregnate her so her dogs will be a purebred like she is? So her pups will sell for a high price. Thus, why would you tell your church to mix races and cause their children to be a mongrel dog. Red birds cross only with red birds and oak trees cross only with oak trees, etc. So us, why not see what God does with his nature who cannot choose otherwise and just follow his wisdom and stay pure. I truly love each race and I want there to always be pure races. Not just mixed people, don't you? Yours in Christ, grace reader. End of quote. Now, see this is the racist posture. The white race is the pure bred dog and all the rest of them are dogs. I'm sorry, I didn't do that. I didn't write this. I didn't start this. So don't be looking at me you know, crazy. <laughs> but see, things like this just expose the thing, see? <laughs> we said it, I already said it before we read in the Bible, out of one blood. See, that's race. See, that's racial prejudice. It's racism. Why do you want to go beyond God? How dare you go beyond God? So if God made everybody out of one blood, then can't be no mongrels. This is typical for racially prejudiced people. Let me give you another example. In July of 1995, Charisma Magazine featured an article entitled, When Love Crosses the Line, an article on interracial marriage. In the August edition of the same magazine, in a section entitled Letters, on, I know I've, we covered a couple of these before, but I need to do this to bring it 
closure to this section. Okay, so bear with me. In the August edition of the same magazine, in a section entitled Letters, on page 8, there were two very interesting responses to the article, which further substantiates what I had previously said about this issue of racial racism, racial prejudice. I'm not using these examples to find fault, but rather to get us to acknowledge the issue and do something about it in our personal lives. Quote, I am highly offended by your article on interracial marriage. See, this, 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 this is real stuff. See, this, 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 see, nobody wants to talk about this. All the other stuff is a smokescreen, it's a dodge, it's all smoke and mirrors. The, the issue is this, superior and inferior. So intermarriage brings inferior and superior together. So that's why we've got to oppose that. Because those people are inferior. That group is inferior. So you, can't, you don't want to mix with them because you'll pollute the pure. See, this, 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 this is the bottom line stuff. All the other stuff is... This is the real... Listen, I am highly offended by your article on interracial marriage. It is wrong to marry out of your race. I thought there was only one human race. If you in it, then how can you get out of it? Come on. Oh, come on. If God made all men out of one blood, there must only be one race. And it is the human race. Oh, Lord Jesus. I am highly offended by your article on interracial marriage. It is wrong to marry out of your race. Jesus knows this, since it lowers the physical standard in races. What about the offspring? End of quote. Name with hell from Centronelle, Alabama. C-I-T-R-O-N-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. I might not be pronouncing it right. Forgive me. Quoting again. I was so disappointed when I received your July issue promoting interracial marriage. And if that wasn't bad enough, you said Moses married a Negro. <laughs> if you take time to study your history, you'd see that there were different races in Midian at different times. What you publish is just another lie. We marry after our own kind if we want to be pleasing to God. See how they, this is how this nation is done. They have continually put this racism thing in with God. And that's why a whole lot of people have a sour taste in their mouth about God. See, it's never them, it's always God. And can't find none of what they're talking about in the book. We marry after our own kind if we want to be pleasing to God. May God open your eyes and show you the truth. Mary Merrill, M-E-R-R-E-L-L, -L, New Hebron, that's N-E-W-H-E-B-R-O-N, New Hebron, Mississippi, end of quote. There it is, friends, the same old objection, pure and impure. I want to refer to one last witness to the reality and presence of racism in America. In a speech given by the President of the United States, Mr. Bill Clinton, entitled One America in the 21st Century at University of California at San Diego Commencement. University of California at San Diego, San Diego, California, June 14, 1997. Quote, but I believe the greatest challenge we face is also our greatest opportunity. Of all the questions of discrimination and prejudice that still exist in our society, the most perplexing one is the oldest and in some ways today the newest. The problem of race. Though minorities have more opportunities than ever today, we still see evidence of bigotry from the desecration of houses of worship, whether they be churches, synagogues, or mosques, to demeaning talk in corporate suites like Texaco. There is still much work to be done by you, members of the class of 1997. But those who say we cannot transform the problem of prejudice into the promise of unity forget how far we have come. And I cannot believe that we, that they have ever seen a crowd like you. I grew up in the high drama of the Cold War in the patriotic South. Black and white Southerners alike wore our nation's uniform in defense of freedom against communism. They fought and dined together from Korea to Vietnam. But back home, I went to segregated schools, swam in segregated public pools, sat in all white sections at the movies, and traveled through small towns in my state that still mark restrooms and water fountains white and colored. 
By the grace of God, I had a grandfather with just a grade school education, but the heart of a true American. He taught me that it was wrong. And by the grace of God, there were brave African-Americans like Congressman John Lewis, who risked their lives time and time again to make it right. And there were white Americans like Congressman Bob Filner, F-I-L-N-E-R, a freedom rider on the bus with John Lewis. In the long, noble struggle for civil rights, who knew that it was a struggle to free white people too. Let me say that I know that for many white Americans, this conversation may seem to exclude them or threaten them. That must not be so. I believe white Americans have just as much to gain as anybody else from being a part of the endeavor, part of this endeavor. Much to gain from an America where we finally take responsibility for all of our children so that they at last can be judged as Martin Luther King hoped, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. End of quote. Well, Saints, that's the last of the racism section of the Race, Religion, and Racism series. Now, next week, I will play the very last episode of the racism section. There's a small portion left, and then he goes into the religion section. And after that, I will continue with my teachings Probably until the end of the year, I will be teaching. I may share some episodes from other ministers that I listen to. And I just might, depending on your request, share more episodes from the Race, Religion, and Racism series that you haven't heard yet. Now, I want you to remember this, and I say this with love. I just, I speak truth. I'm not afraid to speak up. I just know where and when to speak up. The descendants of some of these monsters, I'm talking about slave owners, some of these races are living today. They are in leadership positions. They are in hiring positions. They will smile in your face. And I'm telling you, thinking about burning your house down, you can see the hate and racism in their eyes. But I pray for them. I pray for their souls. I pray for their salvation. I love everyone. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The love of God is shared abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So I am incapable of disliking people. But I want you to be leery. Now, not all white people are like that. Not all non-black people are racist. I have some, some white friends. I love them dearly and they love me. But I want you to keep in mind, they are, and not the ones that I love, okay? They are not racist. Um, I have Hispanic friends. They are not racist. But you have to remember, you know, Caucasians, white people hate Spanish, Spanish people. It's just, if hate is in your heart, you are incapable of loving your own family. Why do you think some of these racist children raised in a racist household can wake up one morning and decide to kill the entire family? Think about that. Because they want the insurance money. No, no love in their hearts whatsoever. And I just say walk in love, saints. Look, we have to live Christ. You cannot profess to be a Christian and walk around hating people. Live Christ and love people. And you have to take up your cross because persecution comes when you live holy. I'm so used to it. I, it just doesn't bother me. Look, man can't bother me at all. I mean, it just... They have no effect on, on my feelings or my thoughts because uh, I am not an amateur and I am not a baby Christian. I've been walking with the Lord a very long time. If you guys have any questions about this, um, this episode or any previous episodes, use the Q&A, the Q&A on the podcast that you are listening to. And I will get that message directly and I'll respond. It may not be immediately, but when I see it, I will respond. And if you send me something crazy, I'm not going to respond. I don't respond to that foolishness other than I pray for your salvation. So with that said, saints, peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your comments or questions to Talking Bible Truth dot cd at gmail.com and if you would like to support this podcast financially because you were blessed you can donate from the platform you are listening on anchor spotify amazon music 
iHeartRadio, Audible, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and more. And contribute an amount of your choice. Or you can send your seed to my cash app, dollar sign Dr. Kamala D. That's dollar sign capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. Anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We as believers walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.